Uh, my name is John, and I am blessed to be the pastor here at Hallmark. I'm going to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke 10, it's not the familiar or the traditional Christmas story as Luke chapter 2, but we'll be in Luke 2 next week. We're starting a new series, as Ben mentioned, called Prepare Him Room. And so let me encourage you the next few weeks to be here today. We're going to talk about preparing him room in our schedule. Next week, we're going to talk about preparing him room in our family or in our home. And then uh, on the 20th, we'll talk about preparing him room in our heart. And as Ben mentioned, uh, Christmas Eve is, in fact, on the 24th this year. So hopefully you guys will be here this Christmas Eve. Six o'clock in the atrium, we're going to have milk, cookies, and may I add also some coffee. Can I get amen for that? And then we'll uh, have worship here at 6.30. And as I think about um, the thought this morning, prepare him room in our schedule. Um, Christmas season, I, I, I love Christmas. I love the season. I love all the memories that I have as a kid, uh, opening presents when I wasn't supposed to and trying to rewrap them. I remember opening presents and not liking what I was going to get, so I put my brother's name on it and switched. I mean, you know, there's a lot of good things about remembering about Christmas, but it seems like Christmas gets really busy. And all of a sudden, you know, it's December 1st, and then it's January whatever. And it just, it seems like a whirlwind, doesn't it? It seems like so busy. And so I was thinking this morning about this idea of when we prepare him room in our schedule, that it seems like we go to all these parties, have all these programs, all these extra activities to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And oftentimes we forget to invite Jesus to his own birthday party, don't we? That our schedule gets so busy that we kind of push him out. We're going to look at that story of, of two sisters that did that, or at least one of them that did that. But when I was thinking about busyness, I just kind of went on a search for some of those interesting pictures that you find all over Facebook, right, that talk about busyness. So some of these are maybe funny. Some of them may, like, step on your toes, but let's just read a few of them. I'll be on the screen for us. You were too busy to answer a phone call or a text, but you weren't too busy for Facebook. Very interesting, all right? Don't you feel the judgment in that statement? Okay, the next one. I'm too busy to tell people how busy I am, all right? How many of you have those friends that they, all they ever talk about is how busy they are? How many of you ever think, well, if you're so busy, why are we having this conversation? That's what I think. All right, next one. No one is always busy. It just depends on what number you are on their priority list. That one is a little ouch, right? The next one, I think, is my favorite. I'm too busy working on my own grass to notice if yours is greener. That's probably a good statement for life, isn't it? The next one is a little more judgy, right? Or maybe it might hurt. I hope I'm always the friend who is never too busy for you. Because we all know too busy really means you're not important enough. The next one I want us to think about, and we're going we're gonna to come back to this at the end of the message this morning, but what I want to think about this next statement is not so much from... These seem to be like from person to person, us, our relationships. But I want us to, to change perspective as we read this one. I want us to think about per perspective from spiritual. What about our, my relationship with God? What about my relationship with Christ? How busy am I or not for Him? And it says a person being too busy is a myth. People make time for things that are really important to them. And I think in my own life that sometimes when I get busy and my schedule gets overwhelmed, it's easy for the first thing to go is 
really what's the most important thing, my time with the Lord. And so my goal this morning is for us to just think through this. Is, is it possible that I've become too busy for God? That God is not my first priority. That God is not the number one priority. And so in this text, in Luke chapter number 10, we're going to read a story about two sisters. And so it seems like there's like this sibling rivalry. How many of you grew up in a home where you have two sisters? Or maybe you were a part of that, two sisters, right? Now, I, I have two sisters, and I could tell you a lot of things about growing up with two sisters. But I'm not going to, all right? But I think when we read this story, you're going to, if you if you've have two sisters, or maybe you're part of a family with two sisters, you realize there is some tension that goes along with sisters, right? They can be the best of friends, and then quickly, the worst of enemies, right? But before we get to the last part of Luke chapter number 10, I, I want to think about uh, what Adrian Rogers said. Adrian Rogers says that if, if, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll just make you busy. And in this story in Luke chapter 10, we see a busy sister and we see one that's worshiping. But it seems to me like in Luke chapter 10, the entire context that may, like I would have preferred that they would have put the last story first. And, and so let's walk through just the context of Luke chapter 10 that will kind of help us maybe have some application for the story we're going to get to. In Luke chapter 10 and verse number 1, it says, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. He sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus just sends out 70 people in groups of two to go lead people to find and follow Jesus. Their goal is just to go tell people about Jesus and grace and faith and to invite people to follow Jesus. And so the rest of the 24 verses here kind of talk about that story. What it leads us to understand when we think about in our context, or when we think as followers of Jesus, what Jesus has made them, and what Paul would later write about, is that we are ambassadors, and we represent Christ to the world. So if we could just kind of summarize 1 through 24, what's the role of us who follow Jesus? We are ambassadors representing Christ to the world. All right, let's look at the next story. It starts in verse number 25. And most of us, if you've been around church very long, you know this passage to be the story of the Good Samaritan. And there's this lawyer that comes to Jesus, and he simply asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him, well, what do you think you're supposed to do? Or what does the law say? And then the man, this lawyer, he quotes from the Old Testament. In fact, this quote that he uses is the exact same thing Jesus said, the same scripture Jesus quoted from when they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And so Jesus says, what's your reading of the law? How do you interpret it? And the man quotes from Deuteronomy 6, 5. He said, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then he quotes Leviticus 19, 18, which says, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you have answered well. Do this and you shall live. Then the man says, well, hold on a second. And I think he's thinking, that's a pretty big standard. And so he asks, well, who is my neighbor then? 
And then Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, right? The, there was a man, a Jewish man, that was attacked, left for dead. Two religious people come by. They don't have time for him. But then a Samaritan of all people, the least likely to stop and help this Jewish man, stops and helps him and saves his life. And Jesus then says, you tell me, who was the neighbor to this man? The lawyer then responds and says, the one who showed mercy. Jesus said, you've answered well, go and do likewise. And so we see in this first, you know, three-fourths of the chapter here is that we are ambassadors and we represent Christ to the world. But we're also, another role here is that we're neighbors. We're neighbors who are to express mercy to the rest of the world. We're supposed to share the mercy with which we have been given to those around us. So we're ambassadors, we're neighbors. And it involves like actively doing something, actively loving, actively sharing our faith, actively being an ambassador and a neighbor. This brings us into the context then of verse number 38. All right, so verse 38, Luke chapter 10. Now it happened as they went that they entered a certain village. A certain woman named Martha welcomed him, being Jesus, into her house. She had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. All right, so these two sisters, Mary and Martha. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus just listening to his words, listening to him teach. Uh, we see Mary two other times sitting at the feet of Jesus. Uh, in in uh, John chapter 11, she sits at the feet of Jesus when her brother Lazarus has just died, and she's mourning at his feet. And then she also, in John chapter 12, she is the one who anoints and cleans and washes the feet of Jesus with her own hair. And, and so three different times we see, where is Mary? Worshiping at the feet of Jesus. And this is no different. Verse number 40, but Martha was, so whether you're reading on your phone or your iPad or your Bible's open, you're online, I want you to say that word with me together. Martha was, what's the word? Distracted. Say it again. Martha was isn't it easy to get distracted? She was distracted with much serving. She approached Jesus and said, okay, here's where I, I see the tension and the angst of two sisters coming to a head. She comes to Jesus and says, you don't care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Can you... Can you hear the sister griping? It's the older sister griping that the younger sister is doing nothing. How many of you have ever been a part of that conversation? Or you've heard that conversation, right? And, and then, I, I just, it just amazes me that Martha approaches Jesus, the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and says, don't you even care that I'm doing all the work and my sister's being a bum? And then she takes it a step farther. Look, what does she say to Jesus? Therefore, tell her to help me. Now, I would not advise you to tell Jesus what he should do or shouldn't do. But she says, uh, you, you kind of just understand, again, if you've been around two sisters that are mad at each other, and they've, this is not the first time this has happened, I can promise. This is not the first time that Martha's been working and mad that Mary is being lazy or whatever she thinks of Mary. Jesus, tell her to get up. But what is Jesus going to respond? Verse 41. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, 
Now, I don't know exactly the context of why he says this twice, other than, you know, it just seems obvious that he's just trying to, to get her attention. It could be that, you know, when I grew up and I was in trouble, it was always Jonathan Mark. I, when, the, when the middle name comes into play, you are in trouble. And I don't know if that's it, it just, that's what I'm thinking. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Let's think about these three words for a moment. Martha was, we said, distracted, and she was worried, and she was troubled. And who is in her house at this very moment? The Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace is in her room, in her house, and yet she is distracted, worried, and troubled. Verse 42, Jesus says, but one thing is needed. Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken from her. In other words, Jesus is saying, Martha, Martha, you're troubled, you're distracted, you're worried. But, but Mary, she's doing the one thing. And what is the one thing she's doing? She's worshiping at the feet of Jesus. And, and, and when I think about this, it's not that it was wrong necessarily for Martha to be serving, if that was the gifting she had, but we have to understand because Jesus says this is the one thing she's doing, we have to realize that there, maybe there's some priorities, maybe there's an order to our work. Maybe that it's important for us to, again, well, let me say it this way. What we do with Christ is more important than what we do for Christ. And for some people who want to serve and want to work and want to be busy, they have to sometimes pause and say, hold on. Maybe we could say it this way. Before we work for Christ, we should worship with Christ. And so the, the problem with Martha was that she was distracted, worried, and troubled. So, if God is wanting us to serve, and He does want us to serve, He wants you, if you're a part of this church, to be involved in serving in some form or fashion, some part of ministry. He doesn't want you to just sit and do nothing. So, how could we kind of, what, what is a barometer in our own life that could uh, help us gauge, am I, am, do I, am I doing this with the right motives? Well, I think this text gives us the barometer. If you are serving like Martha, and you find yourself complaining and griping about people who don't serve, then maybe the one thing you need to do is to stop and worship. This is why I think it, it would have been appropriate to have the, this last story first. Because before we can be ambassadors that represent Christ, before we can be neighbors who reveal God's mercy to the world, we must be worshipers who wait on the Lord to rest at the feet of Jesus. Because, listen, if we don't every day get up and spend time with the Lord, if we don't every day make time for Jesus, we're going to be just like Martha. We're going to be busy, but we're not going to be blessed. And I don't want to just be busy. I want to sit 
at the feet of Jesus. And so kind of my challenge for you this morning is that, that as we enter the Christmas season, that if you don't have an intentional, purposeful, scheduled time that you meet with Jesus and worship, that you would do that. Some of us do have schedules, and sometimes, again, the busyness of Christmas may push Jesus out of the schedule. Now, I have a normal routine every, every morning. Every morning I get up, first thing I do is make myself some coffee. Can I get an amen to some coffee this morning? All right, and then I go into my office and I sit down. Sometimes I have music playing, sometimes I don't. And the first thing I do every morning is I get out, I have a, you know, five-subject notebook. You guys know what that is, right? And I just write my prayers out. Because I easily get distracted. And when I actually, if I close my eyes or if I try to pray, I, there's no telling where my mind's going. It's just a, a discipline for me. And then I get out the Bible and read. This week on Wednesday night, when we were talking about Wednesday Night Live, we, uh, I asked everyone on Facebook, hey, share a verse that might be um, like your go-to verse. And, and Mary McLemore, I want you to turn to, to Psalm 27. Mary McLemore mentioned this psalm. And I really kind of had my message ready, but Mary wrecked it by showing this verse. And so I began Thursday morning when I got up to, to do my normal reading. I turned to Psalm 27. And in Psalms 27, verse 14, the, the last verse of this psalm is the one that she shared for us. And it made me kind of pause and think for a moment. When I think of Martha, she was distracted, she was troubled, she was worried. She was doing good things. She was, she was preparing dinner for the Lord. The, Jesus was in her house, the Prince of Peace was in her house, but she just still didn't have peace. She was so troubled and worried and why? And then I read this verse, Psalms 27, 14, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait on the Lord. A few weeks ago when Pastor Dave spoke on Psalm 117, remember he talked about uh, ask questions of the text. He kind of walked us through a Bible study method of asking wh wh who, what, why, where. Remember, remember that? It was... Where should we worship? Wherever. Who should we, or when should we worship? Whenever. So I started thinking through this psalm and this verse. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And then I love this next phrase. Is he, God will strengthen your heart. It's not about, you know, as we get busy and we get stressed and we get troubled and we get worried and life just happens. It's not about us just pulling you know, the old saying, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's, it's not about us trying harder. It's not about us working harder. It's, it's, it's us waiting on the Lord. And if, what if Martha had just sat at the feet of Jesus and the Prince of Peace could have calmed her? He would have strengthened her heart. So I read this verse and then I start thinking, well, this is the last verse of the chapter. What's the rest of the chapter? What is he talking about? Maybe, maybe there's some points on what does it mean to wait or how can I wait? Because you see this phrase in the scripture, wait on the Lord. Well, look at verse number one of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And think about waiting 
and God will strengthen my heart. It seems from verse 1 that waiting then kind of represents trusting. How can I in a busyness of my life just wait on the Lord because I want Him to encourage my heart? Well, it's just, maybe it's just every morning getting up and saying, God, you're my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Or of whom shall I be afraid? I'm, I'm just going to trust you. Just think about that for a moment. Just kind of, you know, take that breath. Waiting is trusting. Then verse 4 says, One thing, I, I think this caught my attention this week because of what Jesus said to Mary. One thing, in verse 4, David says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek. And I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. And David is just saying, I, I just want to seek the Lord, and I want to seek the Lord in the presence of other worshipers. I want to seek the Lord, and I want to be in his house, in his temple, in our context, in the church. So I think about waiting. It seems to be trusting, but it also seems to imply that I'm going to be seeking Waiting in God is just that every morning I'm going to get up and I'm going to say, God, I I trust you. I'm going to seek you. Then if you look at verse number 7, David says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, Lord, I will seek. What is David doing in verse number 7? He's simply talking to the Lord. He's praying. So when I wait on the Lord, what does that mean? I, I just trust him. And my, I guess my challenge today is just that, that we would just kind of, before we are ambassadors, before we are neighbors, we become worshipers. We wait on the Lord and we, we, we get up and we trust God. We seek him. We just pray, God. And what is the promise here? If we will wait on the Lord, he said he, he shall strengthen your heart. It seems like if Mary, or if Martha would have done what Mary did, she would have worshipped at the feet of Jesus. She would have experienced the peace of God. A few weeks ago when we were looking at Psalm 103, remember what we said after looking at those first five verses? We said, remembering the goodness of God leads to renewal. When we think about those first five verses, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord with all that is within me, and I'm going to bless him, and I'm going to forget not all his benefits. And then he lists those reasons why we shouldn't forget, because he forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from destruction. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies my mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Remembering the goodness of God leads to renewal. I think if we kind of add to that this morning, it would be that waiting on the Lord leads 
to renewal. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Remember that quote? We said we're going to come back to it. For us this morning, are we too busy for the Lord? Our priorities, are, are they, do they need to be rearranged? And I can't think of Psalm 27, 14. My mind, probably like some of yours, mind, my mind immediately when, when Mary shared that on Facebook this Wednesday night, my mind immediately thought of Isaiah 40, verse 31. Would you, would you read that with me this morning? Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. My challenge is very simple today, that we would prepare room in our schedule for Christ. Would you close your eyes for a moment this morning? And I want to just ask you this morning as you are processing this, wait on the Lord and he will strengthen your heart. Wait on the Lord. That waiting on the Lord represents that I'm just going to trust him. I'm going to seek him. I'm going to pray to him. I'm just going to rest in the goodness of God because waiting leads to renewal. And maybe you already have a, a normal routine and a normal schedule that you get up earlier, or maybe it's a different time of the day, but you have a routine, you have a schedule where you wait and worship with the Lord. But maybe today you don't. My challenge is that all of us, whether we have a normal routine or we don't have a normal routine, that we would make a commitment today. God, in the busyness of this season, we will prepare room in our schedule to worship Jesus. If you would make that decision, that commitment today, would you just put your hand up this morning? Just put your hand up right now. I'm making a commitment. Maybe you already have a schedule, but you're just making a commitment today. I'm going to keep the schedule. I'm going to keep the routine. Maybe it's a new thing you're going to start. I'm going to start a schedule. I'm going to start a routine. Would you just lift your hand up for a moment? Just keep it up. You know, as I raise my hand every morning in worship, it's an acknowledgement for me personally to say I surrender to you. So as your hand is raised, I want to pray for you. And the raising of your hand is not just a commitment to God, but let it be in this moment a surrender. A surrender of your schedule, a surrender of your priorities, a surrender of your life. God, I want to pursue you. God, we thank you for this day, Lord. My hand is raised in a, in a hand of commitment and surrender. Lord, I want to commit my schedule to you. I want to surrender my schedule to you, Lord, that I would make you the number one priority of my life, that I would seek you, that I would trust you, that every moment I would rely on you. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. Thank you that when we wait on you, you will strengthen our heart. You can put your hand down. This morning, we're going to close the service in worship. If you want to just stay seated and worship and listen and sing, if you want to just pray at your seat, if you want to come forward and pray at the altar, we're just going to, we're going to conclude the service this morning just 
singing this song that simply says we're going to make room for him.